0: The book of Galatians, please. Chapter 1. Now, this morning, we're going to look at six glorious Galatian gems. Six glorious Galatian gems. And just coming to mind there as well, our brother Ronnie's preaching all day down in, in a Eskila. So just remember him in your prayers that the Lord will bless him and there'll be uh, souls saved there as he's there this morning too. Um, I think are uh, away tonight... Billy's way to sing tonight that, Billy, the Lord will bless you as well, just while you're looking that up. We're just going to pick one little gem at a time. There's going to be six. We're not going to get them all this morning, but we'll see how we get on. And we're going to have six gems, as I've called it, in the book of Galatians, one from each chapter. There's six chapters in the book of Galatians. The first one, Galatians 1 and verse 10. Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Father, take your word and inscribe it in every heart this morning. Challenge us. Speak to us. Encourage us, convict us. Lord, whatever you need to do, we pray, Lord, that you would do it because we know, Lord, it would be for your glory, and for the benefit of our walk with you. Strengthen your people that are weak. And we ask you, O oh God, that you, the Lord, would touch those in their, their body, even as they sit here, who need a touch, a healing touch from you. So glorify your name. Glorify your son. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. So Galatians 1 and 10. Notice the outset of this verse. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Now this isn't that we shouldn't try to help people or meet people where they are. That's not what the apostle is saying what we could do is put many applications on the word. There's a thousand applications to the word of God, but there's one interpretation to the word of God. And so when we are looking at this, we don't want to look at the, I suppose in a slight way we can, it's what's known as the eisegesis, whereas we're reading the verse or the word and we're looking at it and taking an application from it. Some people in eisegesis read into it that much that what they do is they read the word of God in order to suit their own condition and self, which isn't what the word is saying. We don't want to do that this morning. Exegesis is what is the word actually saying to us? What is God saying? What is the background of it? And what is he saying to us? And that's what we want to look at these six gems, however length of time we are going through them. So what does the word of God say to you this morning? And we could look at it and say, as the apostle says, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? Of course we try and persuade men, but into what? Persuade men and women, but generically speaking, persuade men to what? To good time? Persuade men and women to your best life now? What are we persuading them to? everything that we should be persuading men and women to, the only thing should be around Christ and the person of Christ. There's nothing else that's worthy to persuade men to. And notice this, do we seek to please men? Now, it doesn't again mean to say we don't try and work with people and we don't try and love people or we don't try and reach people or we don't try and come down to where they are or meet them where they are. It doesn't mean to say that. It doesn't mean to say we don't even have to go along certain lines to try to, to be partakers of things. It's not what he means. But do we seek to please men? Now listen, if you or I are men pleasers, then this week alone I've had a thousand voices in my ear. Both online and offline. Privately. Thousand voices. Telling me you're not doing it the way I like it. Not in here, by the way. They don't come here. (laughs) They don't come here. You're not doing it the way I think you should do it. One even told me, You're not doing it the way I think, and I've just lost respect for you. And I said, Well, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to serve the Lord. They wanted to bring little God mentality into me, into the teaching. Little God mentality into CET. They wanted me to introduce it, and I said, You're not on. No chance. Well, I've lost respect for you. I says, "Well, I don't care. I'm not looking at your respect. I am looking to please the Lord, to please Him. No matter what you do, brother. No matter what you say, sister. To to the glory of God, you're going to have your naysayers. Your naysayer." You're going to have your critics, no matter who you are, no matter what part of life you're in, no matter the job you're doing, and no matter where it's Christian or non-Christian alike, you're going to have those who don't like how you do it. Then offer them the job and see how they get on. And the thing is, if you start to listen to the voice to please the men, the women, who are always in your ear, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be going along. They'll become your God. They'll become your Lord. Rather than looking toward the one who is your God and the one who is your Lord and seek to please him alone. I'm not saying to be nasty, cheeky, ignorant, and all that sort of stuff. No, 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 not at all. In no way. But if you go after allow, pardon me, men who are coming after you or women to rule your life the way they want to box you in as according to they deem it fit, then you're going to allow them to become your Lord, your master. Notice what Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now you need to settle it in your heart, Christian. Are you serving Christ this morning? Are you in love with the Lord Jesus this morning? And are you willing to let the naysayer go in order for you to move on in God? Here, Paul is saying, I persuade men to Christ. Now, the, the, the application of that isn't the fullness of the exegesis or what God's word says directly. What is the background of this? Now, the Galatians here, what they were doing was some of them who had been got saved, and the Judaizers or the Jews were coming to proselytize them. This is the whole background of the book of Galatians. They were coming to proselytize them back to Judaism. And Paul writes this, and we're going to look at how he calls it another gospel, which is not another gospel. Gospel's good news, Paul says. It's not good news. The gospel of grace in Christ alone is good news. Now notice this, from verses 3, let's look at the background of it. Verse 3 says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Now this is the one Paul persuades men to. The Judaizers are coming and persuading them to ritual in the temple or ritual to synagogue. Notice here in verse 4. What did he do for us? It says, he gave himself. What greater sacrifice do we need than the sacrifice of God's son? Give himself. What for? For our sins, Yes. Why did he do it? That he might deliver us. The idea is to take in, as if you're grabbing someone by the scruff and pulling them out. <laughs> you think maybe your life was, maybe your life has been a, a, a Christian life and that's good that you've been kept from many things in the world. But do you think of the life, I think of my life. Non-Christian home. Nominally, if we call it that, even Presbyterian, if it was on the roll but not in the church not saved. You'll be addicted, you'll be bound by other things. You think of the things where God plucked you from. He gave his son for your sins, he paid your debt, then he comes and he delivers you from what this present evil world. In other words, the the idea here is this age of floating mass of thoughts and ideas that hold a man and a woman captive, that hold them deep in their sin where they can't get out and they can't rescue themselves. God came right down. And in the person of his son, he hung and bled and died on the cross of Calvary. Why? To pay for your sin. And then he comes and he rescues you out. Now this is the gospel that Paul was speaking to the church too. This is the gospel that he preached that the unworthy sinner is rescued from their evil world. The place where God has found them. Notice they are brought from the evil world, but why did he do it? For our sins to be forgiven, yes. For us to be saved, yes. But do you know that the Son of God dying for us, buried in resurrection again, it, isn't, it is in a sense for us. But ultimately it was for the glory of his Father. It's for the glory of God. Everything that Christ has done is for the glory of his Father. I know he died for us and I know by grace he saved us and I know that he's cleansed us and I know, I know that we are sinners and we've been saved by the grace of God and I know that we're kept every day even though we fail him. I know that and we're made sons and daughters of God. I know that, but that's not the glory. The glory is that he will present those whom he has loved and saved and washed and kept as a glorious bride to his Father. Here's your glory, Father. The word according, according to the will of his father, it means this. It's the word kata, which gives the idea of dominance or oppressing down. The will of his father was dominant in the will of the son. The will of the father was dominant in the son's life. The will of the father was dominant in the son's ministry. The will of the father was dominant and the son dying on the cross, he did it for the will of his father, to the glory of God. How is it that we would turn away so quickly from what Christ has done for us? Notice this. Here is the glory. Why did he do it for the glory of God? as it, can. Well, you can look at verse 5. It says, to whom be glory forever and ever. All the glory is not to the sinner saved by grace. It is not to the man and woman who have been washed in the blood. And men love to have their own glory and say, look what I have done. I have wrought it by my own hands. Right. Do you see someone who says, I've laid hands on them and I healed them? They're a liar. That's right. Amen. You may lay hands and I believe in it and that's all right. He's the healer. It's him. He's the healer. Notice this. To the glory, to whom be glory forever and ever. Not to the sinner who is glorified at the resurrection of the body too, but to the glory of his Father. In verse 6, notice what Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. Who are you persuading men to, Paul? To him to Jesus, to him. And Paul says, I marvel. It's the same word Jesus says, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. It's like, are you so surprised that you must be born again? You're a teacher in Israel, he says to Nicodemus, and you don't know that you've got to be born from above, that God must be your father. You're, you're a man who's uh, in a Jewish Sanhedrin. You're a man who's teaching the law of God and you don't know that you must be born again. You, don't be surprised, Nicodemus. And here's the word Paul uses. I'm surprised that you are, listen, so soon removed. The word removed here needs looked at. It's a word metatethyme. Metatethyme. This is what it means. To turn away oneself from another. To desert from a person or a thing to another person or a thing. And in the classical Greek, you've coni Greek and so on, but in the classical Greek, you know what it means? I'm surprised that you've become a turncoat. It's the closest from the classical Greek we can get. What were they doing? Look into the Judaism. Pause says, your turncoat. Notice, we can look and say, well, what about those who are turning from the grace of God in Christ, salvation by grace alone, and turning to other idols, other denominations? You know, I don't need to go through them, do you? Those who are looking for salvation by works, in other words, or salvation by ritual, or salvation by kneeling at a statue, or going on a pilgrimage, or rubbing beads, or whatever. You you, you can think of it all. Think of every sort of religious form under the sun, and he says, what about salvation by grace through faith in him alone? And people have turned from that and went, the other direction, to another thing, to another form. See, brothers and sisters, we think falling from grace is falling from walking with the Lord and getting into the world. And in a sense, that might be so. But that's not the real essence of falling from grace. Falling from grace is when we start to work and labor, the thinking we must do to have the pleasure or please God. You can't work to be saved, but you work because you are saved. It's a big difference. The regenerate heart wants to serve. And notice what Paul says. He says, "I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him, from Jesus that called you. Jesus called you from the present evil world that you were in. Some from addiction, and some from bondage. Listen." Some from various religion or denominationalism. And I'm not saying everything's bad. But what I'm saying is that sometimes we, we look at it and say, well, my church, salvation is in that church or that denomination. Friend, salvation is not in a church and salvation is not in a denomination. Salvation is in the person of Christ. Christ alone. It's not in Judaism, but that's what Paul's saying. Kill all the animals you want. You can build all the temples you want, he says. But the lamb has already been slain. And he calls you from other things. He calls you from addiction. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that the God of all grace, the God of grace, that he comes to some people who are ungodly, we're all ungodly, but really ungodly in life's. who are wicked. comes to the prostitute, to the drug addict, to the alcoholic. He comes to the thief. he comes to the murderer. He comes to the weak. He comes to those who are counted nothing in society and among people. He comes to those whom everybody casts out and he comes to the good and he comes to the bad and he comes to the rich and he comes to the poor and he comes to men and women from all persuasions of life and he shows them their sin that he has paid the debt he delivers them from that present evil world calls you to himself calls you to him you see brothers and sisters we could we could preach you could go witness well you know everything's going to be all right, and everything's going to be hunky dory and everything's going to be floating in clouds and everything's going to be your best life now and everything listen and I would love all that for everyone but that's not true life You're in a present evil world. You're in an evil world with evil people and good in the humanity sense, people who are naturally helpful in the sense. We're in a world of a mixture of peoples. But yet he comes right to you. Now you think about this. He loves you. He loved you, he loves you, and his love never changes. You know what the problem is? You and I, we tend to deem him as fit in his love as we are in ours. I'll say it again. You and I, we tend to deem him as fit in his love as we are in ours, but sure, we love one day more than the next. We love when people are nice to us and we don't love them the next. He loves you all the time. His love never ceases. His love never ebbs and flows. His love remains the same for those who he calls his own. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's a little kid's song, isn't it? But so simple, yet so profound. That we are loved by God. Notice, Paul is saying, I marvel, I'm amazed that you've so soon, not even after a long period of time, but you've so soon removed, or so soon removed from him. Removed from him that called you into, notice, the grace of Christ. <laughs> I'm called into grace. Do you know what that is? Merited, unmerited favor. Not what grace is. I received something that I didn't deserve and I keep living in that grace that I don't deserve. Do you know what one term of grace is? It's beautiful. Paul saying, for by grace are you saved through faith. Jesus is full of grace and truth, the word charis. It means the reflection in the life. Pardon me, the divine reflection on the life that shows a divine reflection from the heart. God's grace called you unworthy, yet he loved you. Now if you were in love before him then, do you think you're not in love before him now? And all your failures and faults, of course you are in love before Him. He loves you. And Paul says, God has called you into a grace of salvation, and you're wanting to go and turn towards uh, what apostolized towards Judaism. You're saved by grace in Christ alone, and He marvels at this. And you're called into the grace of Christ onto another gospel. Gospel, as we know, is good news. Glad tidings. Now listen, look at what he says. Another gospel, this needs looked at because the words another uh, is made up of two words. It's uh, heteros and alios. Okay? And Paul uses them here in verse 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. What are you removed to? Another gospel, another good news. Paul, you're saying there's another good news. Let him finish. For example, the word heteros means something opposing. Something opposing. And Paul uses it here as a false and an evil thing in its character. That's what Paul's using this for. You, you're moved from the grace of him that called you into Christ. And now you're turning away from him to something that's false. And something that's opposing the grace of Christ. That's the idea Paul's saying. is. And the word alos means an alternative. Something that opposes. So here's your alternative they're saying. We oppose the grace of God in Christ. Here's your alternative. Work for salvation. We oppose the grace of God in Christ. Here's the alternative. Ritualize yourself for salvation. Denominationalize yourself for salvation. Other sacrificial offerings for salvation. And this is what Paul says. You've come to something that not only opposes the gospel of grace, opposes what Christ has done, opposes the blood that he shed, Trying to put something else in his place, brother, sister. What is it, men, and, and nowadays, are trying to put in place of the grace of Christ the blood that he shed? I don't know, I, I, maybe it's just the circles that I've been in or. Or, or, or maybe it's the ones that churches I've visited before, or maybe I've watched on the the Sky channels, which are few. But I rarely, rarely, rarely hear the blood of Christ preached. Rarely. I hear money. I hear miracle spring water and olive oil soap and all of these gadgets and gimmicks. And they're falling from the grace of God that is found in Christ alone. Christians are chasing after it. Chasing after it. Pilgrimages. We don't need to walk barefoot up Croke Patrick. Let's send this in love to people. You don't need to do it. It's not in the scripture. It's not in the word of God. You don't need it to, to try and attain something or salvation by, from, by, from God. You don't need it to please God. He loves you, saved by grace alone. Amen. What Christ has done. We don't need to wear a hairy shirt and hide in a cave and whip ourselves half the death that the blood is pouring from us. Perceive what he has done we believe in all that he's accomplished i trust brother or sister that there's no one here who's falling away from grace even in our own mindset we think and listen we do want to please god we do want to walk right before god but no matter what you do will not cause god to love you any more than he does right now He's loved you from eternity. He set his love on you. And the more we try to work as though you'll be more pleased with me, friend, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, no. His love will never lift from you. He may chastise you. But what loving parent doesn't? Chastise their own children. Chastisement from the Lord is because he loves you. And it's not for his benefit, by the way. It's for ours. It's for ours. Notice this other gospel, another gospel, Paul says in verse 6, unto another gospel, verse 7, which is not another. He said, look, you want to go into uh, Judaism, sacrificial lambs, you want to go to synagogue teaching, you want to do all of that. Listen to what he says now. That's not another gospel. In other words, it's not another way. And I know there are preachers there who are preaching what's known as dual covenant theology that Jews are get saved a different way than through the blood of Christ. Now listen, there's only one way for a man to be saved and that is through the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Once and say it again would you all shout that loud? Because people watch this and I want them to hear it. When Jesus died and shed his blood, it was once and for all. for all. That means forever. Forever. And anything out of that is another gospel which is not another gospel. It's an opposition to the gospel. It's an opposition to the gospel and it is not an alos gospel or an alternative to the gospel. It's not anything but the gospel of saving grace in Christ. Notice verse 7, this another gospel, or pardon me, verse 7, we have a perverted gospel. Which is not another gospel, but there will be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the word pervert is a big, long word, metastrefo. It simply means this. To flip over like a coin. To flip over like a coin. To flip as though it's on its head. That they'd come with the gospel of Christ and they'd flip it over on you. You know what happens? You become disillusioned. You become weak in your faith. And you step back from it all and you say, now hold on. I believed I was saved by grace through faith. And these men were coming and saying, "No, listen, I'll say it like this because the children. the Jesus was an illegitimate child. And that's it in the mechus form I can tell you. Of a mercenary soldier called Pantera with a, a young hearted girl called Mary. He's not the son of God. And Islam would come and say, oh, we believe in Jesus. But he's not the son of God. He's, he's not, not God's, God's son. And listen, we believe in him but he didn't die on the cross for you. And if he didn't die, then he wasn't buried and he didn't carry away our sins. And if he didn't die, was buried and carried away our sins, there's no resurrection. The Isis, as they call him, or the Isa of of, of Islam, is not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not. He's not. They flip it on their heads and people who are not grounded in the grace of God and Christ, you know what they find? They start to... Away, remove themselves from the gospel of saving faith in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters in CET, let's be grounded in what Christ has done. Amen. I trust that you know that in here anyway. Well, as Pastor Arnold and myself, we teach that you're grounded in the blood of Christ, Amen. that He alone is the Savior. Notice here in uh, verse 8. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach another gospel. So we have another gospel in verse 6, a perverted gospel in verse 7. We have another gospel mentioned in verse 8. In verse 9, this gospel, it says, let's just read verse 8. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach another gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, let it be that ye have received, let him unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Notice accursed in verse 8, cursed in verse 9. Now it talks about an angel even coming to preach a gospel. And we're, listen, I believe in angels. I believe in angel ministry. I believe in all of that sort of stuff. So don't get me wrong. But even in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, an angel came and said, send for Peter who will tell you the gospel. So I'll put it in, in a paraphrasing. He couldn't preach the gospel to him. Yet in, in Islam, we have Muhammad saying Gabriel came to him, gave him the Quran, what we know is the Quran." We have the Mormons say that Moroni, the angel, came and gave them the Book of Mormon. And they call it another gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right in your face. Even the Seventh day Adventists, Mary Alley Baker, uh, Alan G. White, and, and, and people like that, they, they have what they said angels give them revelation gospel ministry. Now, I believe in angels, so please don't get me wrong, and I believe in angel ministry, but not to change the gospel of grace in Christ. Right. Never. Never. I'm going to round this one. I've got one gem out today. So we're now five to go. This is the longest one, I think. So I'll round this up and that'll do it. Here in verse 8 and 9, Paul says, let them be accursed. Now, see in today's lovely snowflake, politically correct, liberalized church. Not very Christian saying that. You should chase them all over the country and beg them to come back. Paul didn't say that. Paul didn't say that. Paul says, if they come in another gospel, let them be accursed. The word accursed is anathema. And anathema had three levels. I'll give you it quickly. I did teach on it before, but let me give you it quickly. First level was in a synagogue. So they'll understand this language. That in a synagogue, someone who had... Uh, let's say fallen into sin to one for another word they went and they spoke to them about it or maybe they were just uh, something in the assembly that they were in that they were uh, for example in, in 1 Corinthians 5 there was a man who wouldn't hear the word of God and he was actually having an affair with his father's wife that doesn't mean say it's his actual mother but his father maybe another wife and so according to the law he was uncovering his father's nakedness in that sense as well so Paul, they'd give him a warning. He didn't heed. They'd bring him back. He didn't have a warning. He didn't heed the next warning. And Paul says, then let that man be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved. So it isn't all about let's just chase people and chase people until we're war out. Now listen, you know me and if you need to, look, any of you want me to visit you, I'm here to visit you. All you need to do is ask, say, you know, if you're ill, I'm at your door, I'm at the hospital, wherever it is. That's what we do. Have your, your, your babies, we're at the hospital visiting, or whatever, we try and keep up as much as we can, and sometimes we do slack because we're human. But listen, that's not what we're talking about. They sent the man out for 30 days. That's strike one he didn't repent and come back, they send him out again for up to 30 days with a dire warning that this is the last warning. And then when if he doesn't come back in repentance, he was brought up before the, the, the assembly of the synagogue and it was classed as anathema, you're accursed. You won't hear the word of God now. Leave. We'll leave you with God. That's what anathema means. It's the third level of anathema. And Paul uses the same terms, You give warning, you give warning, you give warning. And and if someone else comes with another gospel, they are accursed. Leave them to God. See if a a Mormon comes to your door, don't be ignorant. Don't be nasty. Or Jehovah's Witness or anyone. Don't be be like that. But don't bid them Godspeed when they go. Because you're partakers of their doings. For example, Jesus says about if you've fought against your brother, go see him. There's the first one. And if they won't listen or if nothing comes of it and it's bad, you go and you take someone with you, there's strike two. And if they don't heed after that, you come and you bring it to the church. Now, that's the way Jesus said, isn't it? We all, I think we all know that. And the third one is that then put them out. They're classed as a heathen. That's the anathema. That's, that's the scripture. Notice Paul is saying, Thesans come and say, You're already at a level of a third anathema. Get out. So the first one is, You don't live your life for the approval of others, brothers and sisters. You are persuading men and women to come unto Christ, you are encouraging them to stay in the faith. And by the way, we're not talking about someone who struggles or faints at every, you know, with certain issues in their life. That's not what this means. You know what I think. You need to take this with wisdom. But don't take anything that's diametrically opposed to the grace of God in Christ. Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Listen to Kenneth Woost's Greek on this. I'll quote him. For am I at this present moment seeking to win the favor of men rather than the approval of God? Or am I making it my business to be constantly pleasing men? Do you know trying to constantly please men or women will wear you out? Do you know that? You'll be wore out. If I still were pleasing men, in that case, Christ's bond slave, I would not be. If men and women are the the measure of your morality, if men and women are the measure of your life, you'll not be a bond slave for Christ. The servant here that Paul speaks of, I should not be the servant of Christ, is the word doulos, which is the word bond slave. Um, You can read it when you go home in Deuteronomy 15. Um, and Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 to 6, speaks of a bond slave. So a Hebrew slave, if that was one of their own people. Uh, they may have fallen into debt. The only way to pay their debt was through service. But when their service was over, maybe they owed more and they were allowed to go. This is what happened. If they loved their master, they realized life with him was better than being free to do what they want. They says, I want to stay for love. Because I love you. I want to serve you because I love you. And so the master takes them by the ear to, if you want, City Hall Gate. And he takes them by the ear to a post on the door. He takes a nail or a big awl, puts it on the ear, and he hammers it through their ear. So they're tagged to the door. When he takes it out, there's a covenant of blood that's been made, there's a mark of the awl forever in their ear. And anywhere that Hebrew slave went, none could bring him back into slavery or bondage again and say, we have caught a man, let's make him a slave. Why? Because he was set free. He had the mark of a master. But when anyone was saying, why are you staying here and serving here? You're free, he says. Shows him the mark, and the mark of the nail. You know what I told him? I'm staying because I love him. Paul says, if I'm listening to everybody else and trying to please all of them, then my love and service for Christ will be hindered. Does that make sense to you? Brothers and sisters, why do we serve Christ? Simple. Because we love him. Because we love him. Why do you love him? Because he first loved me. That's the first of six glorious Galatian gems. God willing, we'll look at another one. Maybe get them finished next week. There's a lot of them are shorter, just little snapshots. But that was the basis of what we wanted to bring you to for next week. God bless his word to all of our hearts. The Lord richly bless you all.